Hi, everyone. This is Jim McCarty welcoming you to the LL Research Podcast in the Now, episode number 17. LL Research is a nonprofit organization dedicated to freely sharing spiritually oriented information and fostering community. And towards this end has two websites the archive website, llresearch.org, and the community website, bringforth.org. During each episode, those of us at LL Research form a panel to consider questions from spiritual seekers. Our panel consists of Gary Bean, director of LL Research, and Austin Bridges, assistant director of LL Research, along with myself, husband to the late Carla L. Rucker, scribe for the raw contact and president of LL Research, each of us a devoted seeker and student of the Law of One. We will be, excuse me, we will be discussing questions that are sent to us from spiritual seekers around the globe. Our replies to these questions are not final or authoritative. Instead, they are generally subjective interpretations stemming from our own studies and life experiences. We intend this podcast to be a platform of discussion as we consider questions that often challenge us to articulate our own perspective. We always ask each who listens to exercise his own discernment and listen for her own resonance in determining what is true for him or her. If you would like to submit a question for this show, please do so. Our humble podcast relies on your questions. You may either send an email to contact at llresearch.org or go to www.llresearch.org forward slash podcast for further instructions. Again, I'm Jim McCarty, and we are embarking on a new episode of LL Research Weekly Podcast in the Now. Is everybody here and ready to roll? I am ready. Gary is ready. All right. Chloe says she's ready, too. That, that's All our right. little kitty cat. Welcome, Chloe. <laughs> Special guest. We have a question from Tyler via email. He says, could you recommend a good form of meditation in terms of increasing my awareness of the law of one and propelling my positive polarization? I just want to meditate in the most effective manner for living the law of one. Gary, do you have any recommendations for Tyler? Hmm. In terms, Tyler, in terms of a form of awareness, or rather a, a form of meditation, I'm sorry, I'm not um, that learned in terms of forms of meditation. I have some basic principles to share regarding meditation um, that inform the form. And they include repetition and practice. I think so much of meditation is simply practicing and repeating and practicing and repeating and doing it as much as you can daily um, if able, um, if not, as as much as you're able to be still and be silent and do what meditation um, most resonates with you. I think, um, if you recall, in session one of the Law of One, Ra says, what thoughts took you today? <clears throat> and Ra is asking the group, if they, those listening to them, if they had considered love in their day. And if you examine where your attention is on any given minute in any given day, chances are you're probably not thinking about the creator or not thinking about your spiritual work, but your attention is caught up in a million other things, um, all of which you know could be important and could be related to your work, but it's often a sort of um, unconscious use of attention. Our attention is grabbed by our own processes or or things happening outside of us without us harnessing 
that attention and aiming it upon that which we wish to aim upon. And um, if you want to move closer to the law of one, as the mystics have done before you, then your attention needs to be more under your conscious direction. I won't say control because of its pejorative connotations, but more under your conscious um, ability to direct its um first and foremost, upon the present moment and upon your own experience, but um, upon the creator, the beloved, the one that you are seeking, the law of one. And I think that the more we can keep our attention upon that spiritual work, the more our spiritual work deepens and expands and we, so to speak, move more closely to the law of one. Um uh, and a few more specific recommendations. One, if you've never been to a meditation retreat, uh, go to a meditation retreat. I have been to just a couple myself and have found them invaluable. Um, I have been able to do work at a meditation retreat that was unavailable to me in the busy, day-to-day, distracted um, living. And... Uh, if I could, I would go do a 30-day meditation retreat or a 90-day. Both of mine were only a, a week long in each case. Um, and secondly, so far, there's any number actually of, of um, meditation techniques in schools, but two major branches of which I'm aware that may be good for investigating include Vipassana insight meditation and uh, jhana which is a bit beyond my ability to describe, but in a nutshell is a sort of um, pure non-dual awareness uh, meditation. What might characterize the difference between those two is Vipassana is more inclusive um, in that it seeks insight into the nature of phenomena by seeing through phenomena, whereas uh, jhana is more exclusive. Um, It's... It keeps the focus upon the focus and excludes the arising and, and falling of phenomena. Those are my thoughts. Austin, how about you? Well, I'll uh, give sort of a more uh, personal uh, description of my journey with meditation. And there's definitely some themes in Gary's answer that are consistent with what I have found through meditation. So in my journey <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> of meditation... I started out using visualization as um, it seemed much less boring than simply silent meditation. I got really bored with silent meditation really easily. But the effects that I felt through visualizing things didn't seem very lasting. The visualization itself may have evoked some sort of state or some sort of sensation that was interesting, but the effects didn't seem especially significant in my day-to-day life. I didn't really know exactly what I was doing, and just imagining pleasant things wasn't really doing a whole lot for uh, my spiritual journey. So then I decided to go ahead and just try out the path of silent meditation, which I did find had much more profound effects on my life. So uh, without initially putting things in terms of Tyler's questions of awareness of the law of one or polarization, uh, the effects that I felt were I became much less anxious, uh, stress seemed to be a temporary state that easily fell away, and I became much more aware of my own internal monologues and my own internal processes, and I became all around calmer and more aware of myself in any given moment. Once I had meditated for a while and gotten moderately proficient at 
proficient at entering the state of silence, I found that I was able to enter this state more easily and often throughout the day. Setting aside time for silent meditation, it started to become sort of a habit in my mind. I found myself meditating in small moments throughout the day, and I still do. I think that this habit is kind of reinforced by the method that I used to achieve this silence. Uh, At first, finding silence in the mind seems essentially impossible, especially today when there are so many distractions in our world that are constantly begging for our attention. Uh, Most people have in their pockets a distraction device that they can connect to the rest of the world, which is a beautiful thing in that at any given moment, we can connect to anybody or anything in the world, essentially, and learn anything that we want to. But at the same time, having that available to us can really pull us away from just experiencing what we, where we are and what we are experiencing in the moment. So at first, I could really only go a few seconds without random thoughts popping into my head or uh, my thoughts traveling in some sort of trajectory. But despite not being able to hold a steady state of mind, I still set aside uh, time to at least try. It was about five minutes at first, and if I got to the end of this five minutes and realized that my head had been racing the whole time, I didn't fault myself, and I counted it as my meditation for the day. The key was just to set aside the time and attempt And I think this is what Gary was touching on with the regularity and habit of meditation. So once I was able to sit for about five minutes and only have my thoughts run off a few times, I started increasing the time that I set aside to eight minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and so on until I reached about 30 minutes. I've never really had a daily practice longer than 30 minutes unless I do it multiple times a day. And the method I used during meditation is pretty simple. And it's part of what I think formed the habit of the constant uh, moments of meditation throughout my day. I would simply concentrate on my breath, as many aspects of my breath as I needed to identify. How it sounded, how the air felt going through my lungs, the scent of the air when using incense. And any time I realized that my awareness had left my breath and these sensations and went on to other random thoughts, I would just gently redirect them, my awareness back to my breath. And if I had a particularly persistent thought that was distracting to me, I would visualize the words being written out onto a chalkboard of some sort, really acknowledge the thought and let it express itself. And then I would use an imaginary eraser to just erase the words and then go back to my breath. Eventually, if my mind was particularly cooperative in entering this state, I was able to even release my awareness from my breath, and then there was nothing. My awareness didn't need to be attached to anything. It just was. And it's such a relieving state to realize, as if your awareness has been constrained with a tight grip onto attachment of objects, but then it's finally just set free and allowed to expand and just be without any condition or any object. So Tyler asks about meditation that can increase awareness of the law of one and propel positive polarization. I think that this method... It certainly isn't the only one, but I do feel like it can fulfill these requests. By realizing this state of non-attachment to objects, we break the illusion of any sort of separation and are able to simply exist with all and in oneness. And I think that this is an awareness of the law of one. And the more we are able to realize this oneness, the more we are able 
to allow the drama and the busyness of this illusion to simply pass over us as we remain centered on this unattached awareness. And I also think that it helps in the positive polarization in maybe a more indirect way in that I became more able to identify my unconscious behaviors and emotions, the things that would pop up consistently while trying to be silent in meditation were things that I knew needed to be addressed with other sorts of working and needed to be worked through in my mind. So with this awareness centered habitually turning in on my own mind, I was easier able to realize where my distortions were playing out within my awareness and then I could address them. And on top of this, it helped me to realize when I may not have been acting in the most loving way or when I was acting out of my own self-interest rather than in the interest of others. So being aware of these things, I think, creates a really great foundation for positive polarization. And I have uh, another method of meditation to share, but I'll pass it over to Jim for right now to see what he has to say. Great answer, Austin. Thank you. I can tell you've been working on that quite a bit. (laughs) Um, Recently, I've been attempting to improve my meditations, and I've uh, begun reading a book called The Art of Meditation by Joel Goldsmith. And it's been very helpful. And in the way of um, improving one's understanding or grasp of the law of one, I think that his... Uh, technique might be very helpful. He would recommend getting any reading from the Law of One, any little uh, bone ma, little uh, snippet that Ra has to offer that might be really inspiring to you, and read that. And there, you know, we've all got our favorites. There's a lot of those in the, the Ra contact. Uh, take one at a time, and uh, maybe for your morning meditation or evening, whichever you like, uh, read it and uh, think about it for a moment, and then go into your meditation and. Mull it over in your mind. Try to state it in a couple of ways. If there's any parts you don't understand, ask about that in your meditation. And just kind of let it marinate for a while in an active sense for maybe about five minutes. And then do the silent part of the meditation and see if there's anything that comes to you uh, in the way of added insight as you are doing the silent part of the meditation. And in that way, you know, you could go through, uh, you could collect your list of uh, readings. And they don't have to be from the Law of One. They can be other readings that uh, express the Law of One just as well. And have this list by your uh, place where you meditate. And um, use each succeeding reading as you feel that you've got a grasp of the preceding one. So just move through the series of concepts that have particular attraction for you. And let these be your meditations. And... Uh, at some point, you might be able to add some additional insight of your own into these uh, points that you get out of either reading the Law of One or other books similar to it and begin concentrating on those as well and continue this process until you've expanded your experience of the Law of One in a degree that makes you feel like you've got a better grasp of it because I think there's a, a whole lot that we can get out of the Law of One information. We, Carl and I have continued reading it uh, well, for the last 34 years, and we had the experience of finding new things each time we went through it. So that would be my recommendation. Uh, I know Austin has some more to say. Gary, do you have anything more to add? No, I'm good. Thanks for asking. Okay, over to Austin. Take two. Well, the only other thing I had to add was just a method that I thought was really interesting that I borrow from Ken Wilber. And he basically describes... Uh, this meditation as 
uh, identifying with the universe and the three different perspectives, the first person perspective, the second person perspective, and the third person perspective, which I think that also has some correlation to some stuff that Ra shared. Uh, but essentially, and you can cycle through these, whether in the same meditation or in different meditations, but in the first person perspective, you essentially seek a state of, uh, I am the universe, I am the creator. Um, and basically identify with that first-person perspective, the I perspective. And I think that's similar to what Ra might have said when they said, uh, gaze within a mirror and see the creator. And then there's also the second-person perspective, where you sort of uh, have a conversation with the creator or the universe, where the second-person perspective being you, uh, you say you are the universe, and you can enter a state of meditation where you sort of have a relationship with the creator and you're able to even have a dialogue or uh, what some have called a conversation with God. And uh, you realize that the universe can speak back to you if you enter this state of meditation. And while it's not exactly the same, I think that uh, Ra also described a second-person perspective when they said, when a mind-body-spirit complex views another mind-body-spirit complex, see the creator. Because that is also sort of saying, you are the creator. And then there's the third-person perspective, where the universe and the creator is more of an object, where you look into the universe and say, that is the creator. And in that sense, it's more of a contemplation than a meditation, where you just sort of think about uh, how everything is connected, and you observe it as if you, it is an object and you are the subject. And uh, one method that I use for this is to just kind of Pick one thing within our environment, like say you just ate a sandwich and you kind of go through this process of realizing how many aspects of our universe went into creating that sandwich, starting with just the person who may have made the bread and the cheese and the meat, and then the person who maybe grew the grains or milked the cow, and then the cow themselves and the grass that the cow ate and the sun that feeds the grass. And there, it goes into infinity. Every little aspect of everything in your environment, there are so many many connected things that you can observe in an objective sense that I think really helps us expand our awareness in that third person sense. Uh, that's just what I wanted to share for that. Good answer. Good answer. Okay. Uh, are you ready to move on to question number one from Anonymous? I think so. Mm -hmm. Okay. Number one from Anonymous says, have any of you ever told about the law of one message to an outsider, a neutral family member or a friend with any success? Gary? <laughs> my batting average is somewhere just above zero in that regard um, I have attempted to proactively share on the basis that the other self would be interested um, however oddly enough though this is the best material ever um, the other self didn't think likewise <laughs> And uh, that has been the pattern. Not that I've done it um, many times, just uh, mostly, I guess, early on when I was a little bit more zealous. I, I wasn't over the top whatsoever, but um, I have since learned that to await the request or interest expressed in some form or another. Um, a couple interesting people with whom I have shared it. Uh, one... I'm pretty sure, insofar as one can know this about somebody else, 
which is to say you can't know it. But I have a strong feeling that my mom is a wanderer. And uh, I tried for some years earlier on to get her to read this, encourage her to read this, uh, if only just to connect with the new life that I was embarking upon. And she promised me she would. And she, I think she listens to these podcasts. So, Mom, why haven't you read the books yet? And another <laughs> person that um, kind of came out of the woodwork was um, I've always felt on, on one side of my family, I've got a lot of aunts and uncles, and I had one uncle uh, who I felt he and my mom had this, um, a certain spirituality to them that I had sensed for a long time that was more or less dormant. At least, you know, they weren't consciously in any way seeking. And um, this one uncle came to my wedding last year and uh, Carla was kind enough to open the wedding, um, uh, even though at great pain to herself to be there in a wheelchair. She still spoke to everybody present and um, had some beautiful thoughts to share. And then my uncle, sometime I saw him a few months later, and uh, he said, I saw, listening to Carla speak at your wedding, something opened for me, and I went and found YouTube videos um, of her speaking, and I feel like I know her somehow, and I just feel this love for her, and he went and got the law of one books or didn't get the books, but rather was listening to them online. And uh, somebody had run them through some computer program that <laughs> plays them and couldn't understand why. But the book, the material was resonating with him. And this kind of blew me out of the water because, like I said, I had sensed some uh, a certain spirituality that was dormant. But this particular uncle has been um, had his worldviews kind of spoon fed to him via Fox News, so you can kind of get a sense of um, how he sees things. And here he is saying that he is digging the law of one. So um, you never know who's going to be interested. But your experience, if you have attempted to share, and the others with whom you've shared have not seen the books in the light that you have, you are not alone, my friend, in that. Um, that is <laughs> a, a ubiquitous experience um, among people who love or resonate with this philosophy, um, which is one of the reasons we created Bring Forth, because people who do um, enjoy this information are often isolated and don't have other people in their immediate vicinity with whom to share this material. That's also the beauty of homecoming as well. Yes, indeed. So, Austin, have you ever tried to talk to anybody that didn't know about the Law of One or didn't ask you about it? I mean, it seems like kind of an odd thing to do, but have you ever tried that? Um, well, in my current mentality, I have some distortions where I'm really averse to sharing the Law of One with people. Um, I'm afraid they're going to see me as crazy mm -hmm. because I found myself feeling that I was crazy when I first went through it. And... Um, I am just scared that even if somebody is interested and curious about uh, what I believe and also what I do for a living, that they will, it will cast a bad light on me, which I don't think is necessarily true in most cases. I think most people might just kind of shrug and say, oh, wow, okay, and not really see me much differently. But in my early days, like uh, similar to Gary, and I think 
that this is slightly common among seekers who first find the law of one. And <clears throat> when it was really resonating with me and I just really identified with uh, the profound truths that I felt were in it, I felt like I had seen the light and if other peoples could just see the light as well that uh, they would feel about it the exact same way that I did. So I did try to share it some. I wasn't very uh, zealous about it, but I did attempt to read some passages to people that it just kind of fell flat, and I quickly realized that this was going to be a very personal journey for me and that there weren't a whole lot of people in my vicinity that were going to share it with me. But I did have one good experience. At the time that I first found the Law of One, I was living in a house with a few roommates. And one of my roommates, who I, like Gary was saying, it's hard to know of this about people, but I am 99.99 continuing percent sure that he is a wanderer. He just, he fits the bill so perfectly. And I have never seen such a, a loving, like, sort of naive, innocent soul in a human body before. He's such a great guy. And, um, he was a little bit interested in the law of one when I was sharing it. So I let him borrow my book one and he didn't read it immediately. A couple of weeks later though, I was in my room uh, and he came down and knocked on my door and I opened my door and he was kind of in tears and I could just see that he was kind of really shaken up and he said that he just read the introduction to the Law of One, which includes a great description of wanderers and some uh, wanderer experiences. And he said, I've never remembered my dreams before. His entire life, he's never remembered dreams. He basically doesn't ever remember having a dream. But he said, I did have one experience that might have been a dream, but it seemed so much more real than that. And that I was on another planet with another people. And the love in the environment, it was just innate in the entire environment. There wasn't any kind of uh, explicit expression, but it just felt so palpable and so real. And experiencing that has sort of made him uh, feel at odds with the environment that we have here in Third Density, which I think is rather <laughs> a lot of proof that he might be a wanderer. Um, and it just, it touched him on a very profound level and gave him context for that experience that he had that he was never able to find before and context for how he felt in this world that he never found before. But unfortunately he did, uh, he didn't really get into the law of one. He was sort of still wrapped up in the distractions of our environment. And I don't think that he was ready to embark on such a profound and personal journey, but uh, I would say that that was at least a minor success. Uh, that's about all for me. Yeah. Um, I've never really tried to talk to anybody who wasn't interested or didn't ask me questions about the Law of One. Years ago, before I met Don and Carla, I was very much interested in this uh, technique of brain self-control. I became rather zealot about it, and I talked to people who were not interested in it, and it became very quickly apparent to me that they were not interested in it and that trying to talk to anybody about a topic they were not interested in was a waste of time. <laughs> so um, I gave that up. Uh, the most recent attempt, <laughs> I didn't really attempt anything. Uh, a week ago, I went to my periodontist and as I was sitting in the chair, I took along a copy of uh, Secrets of the UFO. I was just finishing reading it uh, and using uh, it as a comment for the Camelot Journal in the morning. 
And he looked down and he said, Secrets of the UFO. And I said, yeah, I've been reading that lately. And he says, uh, so what's the secret? They're not here to eat us, are they? And I said, <laughs> no, no, they, they want to turn us into philosophers. And he was happy to let that go, and that was it. So <laughs> um, that's, that's about as much luck as I've ever had. At least he didn't uh, get all excited and say something nasty. Um, we are close to the end. Do you want to tackle the last question and see what we can get done or do it next time? My reply is very uh, brief. Okay, the second question from Anonymous is, as wanderers, have you ever noticed that being a wanderer represents more of an effective way of influencing somebody without harming their free will? If you live amongst people just like you and chat with them, I think you're free to tell them whatever you want. Atan says, quote, those far below this level, unfortunately, cannot be helped by us at this time, end quote. But by us, they might get help to at least remain undecided and to become able to contemplate things more fully. Since the majority of third density beings is far along the chosen path before realization of that path is conscious, as Ross said, so I think we can freely alert them as to what they're doing, practicing, sympathizing with, so that they become conscious. What do you think, Gary? What do I think? Um, I have two-part reply. The first is... Um not sure what exactly you mean by influence. Influence could be um, intention to manipulate and control and or shape somebody else's uh, free will, in which case I would say no. Being a wanderer does not give you more, um, give one more influence. If by influence you mean simply to uh, radiate love and light and serve as an example and, um, and so forth, then yes, I think being a wanderer may increase the ability to, quote-unquote, influence others, or at least serve as a beacon of light, simply because a wanderer may have a memory and may have a, a stronger, more conscious desire to serve others and to open the heart and to radiate love and light. And the second part of my reply is um, you said, so I think we can freely alert them what they are doing, practicing, sympathizing with, so that they become conscious. What do you think? Uh, my short answer to that is you know, we can certainly proactively hold up mirrors to other people, um, including those whom we deem are sleeping, though we can't know that, of course. But So, yeah, yeah, we can proactively hold up mirrors, but the mirror is effective only insofar as the person is willing and wanting to look into the reflection that concludes my answer. Thank you for the questions, Anonymous. <laughs> How about you, Austin? What have you got to say here? Rather similarly, I agree somewhat with the sentiment that our Anonymous questioner is sharing, but there are some things that I would nitpick about in the way that they worded things, such as, I think you're free to tell them whatever you want. I don't think that's necessarily the most effective or mature way to communicate, to just share whatever you want without consideration for how they might react to it. I think that part of communication is a deep consideration for the person that you're communicating with. And if you have a goal in mind for communicating something, uh, and the way you're communicating something doesn't reach that goal, then you obviously would need to change something. And sometimes that means just not communicating at all, because you might just be making an issue worse if you try to point out distortions or you try to uh, share some bit of philosophy that they might then reject even more because you told it to them in the wrong manner, at the wrong moment, or in the wrong way. Um, but I do generally agree that we have a bit more leeway as far as 
free will goes as compared to the outer sources or the confederation sources that are channeled such as uh, LL Research has and does because the outer sources are speaking through a from a higher density and they are not um, subject to the illusion that we are and they do not take on the cultural mind that we as wanderers have taken on. We as wanderers have to incarnate with these other beings and experience the same things that they do and we have the same illusion that they do and we have to penetrate that same illusion that they do to reach these deeper truths. And because of that, I do think that um, we are able to share more without having to uh, go through the council as the Confederation does. So I think that there is an aspect of honoring free will and the fact that we take on these cultural distortions while incarnating into the culture and we take on the planetary mind as we incarnate onto the planet uh, and other sources in higher densities don't. Uh, have to do that. So I think they have to be more cautious of how they share things because their perspective is uh, much different than ours as wanderers because we are essentially third density beings. We may have come from a higher density, but at this moment when we share with people, we are third density just like those people. We're on an equal ground and that uh, gives us a bit more freedom to share with them, I think. How do you feel, Jim? Uh, Good answer. I really agree with you, Austin. Uh, I think that was well put. Uh, yeah, we, as he says, we can uh, share whatever we want, but sharing it in a certain way is probably a, a good idea. I think that the basic reason wanderers are here on this planet is to help lighten the vibrations of the planet by their very presence. And that is uh, having a, a lighter touch on things, having more likelihood of having love and compassion in the life and of being willing to be of service to other people. So I think that when we want to talk to anybody about anything, uh, that those qualities need to show through. And we don't really have to talk about, you know, the details of the law of one. That that's the way we ser- seek in our own spiritual path. But we can just talk about the spiritual path in general to just about anybody because most people do have some sort of a, a religious or a spiritual turn of mind or heart or emotion now and then. So I think that, just like you said, Austin, we can determine where exactly the person is more likely to be open to what we have to say and then say it in the most loving way possible. If we are truly wanderers who want to help out, then uh, we're going to try to be sensitive to people's uh, needs and their abilities. Does anybody else have any final comments to make on that question or any other question? Not I. Nope. It looks like we've completed another program, folks. Good job. Well, we would like you all to know that we love you a lot, and we want you to know you've been listening to the LL Researchers Weekly Podcast in the now. If you've enjoyed the show... Please visit our websites, llresearch.org and bringforth.org. Thanks so much for listening, and a special thank you to those who submitted questions. If you'd like to send us a question for us before the next show, please read the instructions on our page at www.llresearch.org forward slash podcast. New episodes are published to the archive website every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern. Have a wonderful week. We will see you next week. Cheerio.